A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we'll be discussing Richard Linklater's latest, Last Flag Flying, and speaking to one of the film's stars, the great Brian Cranston. I'm Sam Howlett, and flying the flag with me this week are Ryan Hewitt. Hello. And Stephen Ryder. Hello. How are you doing, guys? Very well, thank you, Sam. Okay, thank you, Sam. Uh, Stephen, what have you been up to this week? I'm, I'm, I watched a, a, a Blu-ray recently that I got sent as a, as a screener, um, of, a, of an Armenian film from the seventies called the the color of pomegranates. It's it, I mean it's quite a well known film. It was it got voted I think like in the sixties sixty second in sight and sounds greatest films of all time, uh, poll uh, the last one that came out and it's um it's it's an incredibly striking film. But it's uh it's one about basically a poet whose name I've forgotten now, but uh, he was an Armenian poet from seventeenth uh, century uh, Armenia who um. Uh, he, he, a lot of his songs are still sung in Armenia and a lot of the kind of uh, rituals and religious practices that he uh, he must have gone through at the time were, were kind of put onto screen. But it's um, visually, it's absolutely incredible. But there's so many of these images that I have no idea what's going on in them. And it's a very like poetic kind of surreal mm. film, Bunwellian in a lot of ways, uh, a little bit of Tarkovsky in there. And uh, yeah, I really didn't know what to make of it. It's, it was an odd thing to start off my viewing with this week. And I'm going to have to write a review of it soon. I really don't have any idea where to start. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it was but it was certainly something. And um, and it looks great on Blu-ray, too. It, Martin Scorsese worked on it with the Film oh, Foundation, cool. and okay. he's a huge fan of this movie. I think yeah. he, I think uh, him and Godard have both spoken about, like, if uh, if you really want to know about film history, then you should yeah. watch uh, this one. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating, but I'm not sure whether I liked it or not. Okay. Yeah. What's it called again? The Color of Pomegranates. So if you want to know about film history, you have to watch You have to see this. I think Goddard said that you, in order to really enjoy this movie, you have to find a cinema 15 miles away and walk there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's that kind of film. Yeah. yeah. It, was, okay. it was played last year at Curzon Soho right, okay. on 35mm, if I'm not mistaken, part of the Fashion and Film Festival. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, the, I mean, the costume design is incredible. Yeah, I was going to ask so, you yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. Um, I can't imagine the work that must have gone into it. But, you know, it's, it's so difficult to make a film uh, in general that you know that's why we see so many safe films being made because people are like look if we're going to make it let's make sure it plays to people yeah so to make a film like about an armenian poet which is completely surreal and doesn't have really have any connection to other kinds of filmmaking it's, it's a bold move yeah in the 70s. it's a bold move so yeah i feel like i watched the opposite film over the weekend <laughs> in every way uh i watched finally i watched brawl in cell block 99 which is uh, S. Craig Zahler's follow-up to Bone Tomahawk, which I love, really like Bone Tomahawk. Uh, this played at LFF, but I missed it, and then I picked it up on Blu-ray over the weekend and watched it Saturday night. And uh, me, oh my, <laughs> is, uh, is this a violent film? Um, so Vince Vaughn, the comedy actor Vince Vaughn, plays um, a, a, a drug runner who seems to be only in the criminal underworld to satisfy and make a family with his wife who he really loves, and mm -hmm. he's got this very sort of anti-violent sentiment, and then he's sent to prison 
And while he's in there, he's threatened with um, some of his former associates from the outside saying, you have to kill this person in prison or we'll kill your wife. So the film is him fighting his way to cell block 99 uh, to get this guy. And uh, Pre- Pregnant wife as well. If pregnant I'm not mistaken, wife, yeah. correct. That's yeah. another layer. The stakes are very high. The stakes yeah. are very high. <laughs> and how they threaten the pregnant wife is very yes. unpleasant indeed. Yes, that's true. Um, and I didn't see the first 98, so uh, I could complain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, have, have you guys both seen this? I've seen it. Yeah, I saw it at LFF in a double bill of hyper-violent prison-related movies. I saw it like six o'clock and then straight after went and saw A Prayer Before Dawn. Right. Which was in stark contrast tonally to this film. But Broad and Cell Block 99, I thought it was a great fun. But yeah. to be perfectly honest, it didn't go as bonkers as I wanted it to go. Okay. I thought this is going to go like melee, like crazy, yeah. <laughs> hyper-violent. Yeah. Like, but it was so quite, it was quite restrained. I thought for, all the, for a while, all it of the was, violence. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of yeah, a couple of people. You know, obviously it's very gory, but it's like small rooms and it's one or two people and it's very intimate and close quarters. Yeah. isn't it? It's very brutal. But I was kind of, I was sort of hoping for a bit more like the raid two absolute insanity. Yeah. yeah, I think there is some because S. Craig Zala. I think he knows that people really want what you're talking about from this film. They want to see blood spattering on the walls <laughs> and bones breaking every five minutes. And and he he gives that to you, but he makes you wait for it. Yeah, in a yeah. two hour film, and you know the poster is Vince Vaughn in a in a prison jumpsuit. Mm. The film's called Brawl and Soul Ninety Nine. It takes him about an hour to get into prison first of yeah, all it does, mm. yeah. and then yeah. another 40 minutes to get to cell block 99 so it really makes you wait and i actually quite i quite liked that about it i think it made you know vince vaughn as a character before you see what he has to go through because they they set him i think they go out of their way to set him up as a kind of person with a moral compass maybe uh not very subtly at all <laughs> and maybe they go out far too far out of their way to do that but i think there's a point there that they, I, I, they set I, that up i think you're right i think the film uh, really wants y- this character to be the centerpiece of the film, and it wants mm. you to kind of, you know, rally around him and really get yeah. on board with what he's doing. My 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 issue is I I don't think Vince Vaughn is a strong enough actor to carry a two hour film, especially one like this where, I, if, as a physical presence, he's amazing. Yeah, he's, all that muscle just he, for show. <laughs> <laughs> he's a big guy. You know, he's he, he's a big dude anyway, right? He's yeah, like a good, yeah. He's just over yeah. six foot, like quite quite a bit over six foot, and um. Yeah, and I think he has a certainly has a presence in the film, but when he's asked to make you feel, you know, his his kind of um, trepidation and his need to uh, save his wife, I wasn't buying it that much. Okay. No, but oh, right. but I, I have to say the last twenty minutes did did really have me on the edge of my seat. If yeah. not just for the sheer violence of it alone and not knowing what was going to come next, it was uh, it was it's it. I, I preferred Bone Tomahawk, but it was like that final scene in Bone Tomahawk yeah. like turned up for a little bit longer you I know so. extended a little bit bone tomahawk's another one that's a, i think it's a well over two hours long bone tomahawk mm, mm. and incredibly slow film mm. until the last 15 20 minutes or so where just chaos erupts on screen yeah, um, yeah. and it really i think it makes a big difference because you really get to know and feel these characters and the relationships between them that when someone is getting ripped in half mm. it's not just someone getting ripped in half it's that person getting ripped in half. i think that's the difference <laughs> well the cast uh, the cast for bone tomahawk yeah. was was yeah. incredibly strong i mean you had richard jenkins in there you did yeah uh, matthew fox was fantastic in it um kurt russell kurt, russell, kurt yeah. russell's in it you patrick know wilson. patrick wilson all these actors are all of them are better than yeah. Vince Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem, I think. Um, but, but uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Zala does next as well. You know about his next film. It's called uh, Dragged Across Concrete. It's starring... who's who? Who's... So it's got 
pretty much the same cast as um, Brawl in Sovereign 99. So Vince Vaughn's back. Uh, Jennifer Carpenter, mm-hmm. who plays his wife mm-hmm. here, she's back in it. I think Udo Kier. Oh, wonderful. Makes another appearance. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I'm pretty sure Don Johnson as well, mm-hmm. who plays the warden mm-hmm. of Cellblock 99. Uh, and then uh, Mel Gibson as well joins that cast. Yeah. And yeah. they play uh, two policemen who are fired for police brutality. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, join the criminal underworld to make some uh, extra money. <laughs> Credit to him. I don't think I agree with his politics, but uh, <laughs> I think that I think that that S. Craig Zala, he seems to be pushing against a lot of stuff we're seeing today and it's kind of fascinating to see a filmmaker do that and to be given these kind of budgets in this space to to do that i'm not i'm not sure i like it but it's very interesting you know well uh we could talk about this for another 40 minutes i think but uh it's time to move on to our film of the week so last flag flying sees three ex-vietnam buddies so doc shepherd played by steve carell sal nealon played by brian cranston and richard Mueller, played by lawrence fishburne uh, they are reunited when Doc's son is killed in the Iraq war and when Doc decides to move his son from Arlington Military Cemetery so he can have a civilian funeral, the three go on a cross-country road trip. Uh, but before we discuss the film, it's time for this week's guest, Heisenberg himself, uh, Mr. Brian Cranston. Stephen, you spoke to him. I did, yeah, yeah. How My was gentleman. he? He's, he's, he's absolutely lovely. He took time out of his day, actually. He's got a busy schedule at the moment mm. with Network, playing at the National Theatre, sold yeah. out shows. Uh, and yeah, he was great. Okay, so uh, we apologize if you hear a glass breaking towards <laughs> the end, but uh, it took place in a bar. So uh, this is Stephen and uh, Brian Cranston. Enjoy. So here we are in the Curzon Mayfair bar uh, with Brian <laughs> Cranston. Thank you for coming along just before you head to stage. My pleasure. Good yeah. to be here. No, that's fantastic. Um, I saw Last Flow Flying at the London Film Festival. I thought it was an incredibly impressive film. Um, I guess it's a good way to start would be to ask you how you came to the project and what it's like kind of working with a, a director you can never really pigeonhole or pin down. That's true, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, Richard Linklater does such a wide variety of films because he has a wide variety of tastes, like like a lot of us do. But mm-hmm. he gets to be, be able to express himself in doing that. So he does a film like uh, School of Rock, Dazed and Confused, yep, yep. Boyhood, yeah. and it seems like those are from three different. Minds oh, incredibly it, right? so. Yeah, Very absolutely, deep. absolutely. And then and you remember Bernie? He I was, do. Oh, Bernie's so. one of those. It's a deep cut link later, but yeah. it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> certainly one that uh, I, I loved it when it came out. And, Beautiful films. And he, yeah. he has this habit as well. Talking about Bernie, he has this habit of working with actors who have an incredibly kind of comic sense to them, um, but are still capable of doing yeah. drama. And I think that's something that you've always in your career been, you know, excellent at. Well, thank you. I mean, I've always wanted to be able to be. Uh, versatile in in the work that mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing, and so I've been very fortunate. So in in Breaking Bad, there were comedic moments, mm-hmm. albeit dark. Mm-hmm. In in Malcolm in the Middle, there were there were dramatic moments. Absolutely. And then, uh, so, and then that's, that's what I look for in films. So Last Flag Flying was sent to me, and I was told that uh, uh, Richard was interested in in Steve and Lawrence. Uh, for the other roles and when I read it I was immediately taken by not just the humor and not just the road trip aspect of it uh, about the bonding essence of men and how we um, regain friendship how we deal with grief Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and all of that but also the humor was just all there so that's what surprised me the most about the film you know like it's, I, I was going to say, actually, out of all the films at the London Film Festival, even the comedies, 
I did not laugh harder than the the train scene between <laughs> you guys. Those uh, those belly laughs that yeah. coming from you all um, was that was that scripted? Yes, it was. It was all scripted. It, it wasn't. None of it was. Uh, was well, no, it? I can't say none of it was improvisation. But no, Rick has a very keen ear towards what um, what strikes him funny, and then cast it with with people who get it mm-hmm. and know that humor. Um, and it was fun to do. So yes, um, there were lines I'm sure that we all threw in at, at different times. And I, I'm at this point I couldn't tell you what was, but I, I do know that it was almost entirely scripted. Yeah. But the physicality wasn't scripted. You can't say then he lies back on and does this and does, unless it's very specific to telling a joke. Yeah, and yeah. So, it almost you know. seemed as though when when Steve doubled over at one point that you reacted to it uh, as he doubled over and kept on laughing more and I just thought it was yeah. it, it was it was great because it, it felt like you know uh, at that point in time a lot of emotions were coming out in that scene from you guys and you were all relaxing with each other but at the same time it still felt very sad it's still there's a melancholy aspect I think to last flag flying and uh, the friendship part of it I think is a huge yeah huge part of that you know um, watching them come back together it's uh and, and and those relationships starting up again is incredibly moving and melancholic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a beautiful um, story, mm-hmm. beautifully handled by Steve mm-hmm. and Lawrence in their roles and Rick uh, being the maestro. Absolutely. Um, it was it was amazing. We did have three weeks of rehearsal before we started, and uh, it was incredibly valuable to be able to just read through it the four of us for most of it and Rick would go away come back the next day with some rewrites and go away and come back with more rewrites and almost like a group therapy session we yeah. would talk and have lunch and we'd say well you know I I have a I'm having a problem with this scene for this reason or another and and then someone else would go yeah now that you mentioned it I do too and and so we, we kind of needed each other to be able to bounce off each other and build um to take something apart and then rebuild it. Yeah, yeah. And um, and Rick has a lot of confidence, so he wasn't daunted by that task. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, what I'm really intrigued about is, obviously, with Network, you've been spending quite a lot of time in England at the moment. So mm-hmm. you're going to be yeah. kind of uh, the culture. You're going to be exploring it a little bit. And considering that Last Flag Flying is a movie about, uh, for me, a, a big part of it is about patriotism and what it means to be a patriot, mm-hmm. whether that's a personal spiritual thing or it's whether you, it's something you can define. Um, and in England and in the US, do you think Last Flag Flying is a film that's going to be received quite differently in these countries? Uh, or do you think it does have a universal kind of aspect to it? I hope so. I, I think it does span the globe more than be so um, idiosyncratic to mm-hmm. any one country um it's about nobility it's about service it's about making choices um it's about family Mm -hmm. because the military really is just a large family and like a family you can criticize it all you want when you're in it but someone outside the family can't say a word about it and so you'll see um, ex-military or current military complain about their assignments or duties or, or an officer or something. And that's so common. Mm-hmm. It just happens mm-hmm. within that uh, familial uh, structure. Um, 
but then you still go about and you do your job. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can bitch and complain, but then you go about and, and do it. And there's there's nobility in that. And these three men, despite their hardships and perhaps poor decision-making on, on how they handled their own PTSD and troubles, mm, mm. Um, there is nobility to them in each in their own way. Yeah. Even Sal, my character. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Sal is, uh, <laughs> you might not think that at first, but by the, time, by the time the film finishes, and especially in that last scene, you see how much it means to him. The, the, the journey aspect of the film and how much it means to him that he's been able to kind of like, well, I wouldn't want to say complete the journey, but uh, <laughs> right. you know, but uh, for him to go through that, you, you definitely see it. Yeah, you definitely see it. Um, and I, I think, I think what I, what I find so interesting about it is that kind of, because being an Englishman myself, like the American army is something that's quite foreign to me. Um, but for you, was it something that you had to research, or do you have a personal connection to the uh, the army in America, the armed forces? Uh, not. Not specifically the army. My father was in the Navy Air Corps oh, wow. in World War II. My mother was in the United States Coast Guard, also another branch of the service here. And so I come from that military mm. family. Mm. And um, and I, although I didn't serve, um, it was an automatic for my parents' generation mm. because they were fighting a clear and present danger. Whereas in my day, I was... A little too young to be drafted for Vietnam but it was different mm. um, Vietnam we were told things that have now proven to be not true mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we have been um, manipulated to a great degree um, propagandized uh, and and it's it's okay and appropriate to question your military leaders your political leaders mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to make sure that they have every single young boy and young woman mm -hmm. in mind before they put them in harm's way. Mm -hmm. That diplomacy should always go to the very end and military action should be an, the absolute last resort of any kind of conflict resolution. And I think Sal almost personifies that holding people to account in the film he yes. he has that in him he wants it yeah. he wants to make sure that it's held to account he doesn't hate the army he doesn't he's, he doesn't have anything particularly there's no hatred there but he certainly no, you know, well i think there is some hatred there he has hatred but he also has a deep love it's it's very complicated his relationship with it and just like a family mm -hmm. when you have these love hate relationships that are so rooted and so vital to that person's yeah. history, to that person's um, even uh, self-worth. Um, but Sal is a guy who uh, who feels like, as he says in the movie, the only color that he sees is, is green, which is the color of the Marine Corps. You know, and it's like that's, that's all I see. That's when I was. That's when he was the most alive. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you ever so much, Brian. Thank you. And thank you for taking time out from network as well. I appreciate uh, it. Good to see you, man. Thank right. you. You too. So this film is it's quite hard to describe to people in terms of the context of it because it, it's kind of a sequel to The Last Detail, but it also isn't. It's based on a book by Don Ponixon, and that book is a sequel to The Last Detail. But here, Richard Linklater has changed the name of the characters from the book to make this its own film. But spiritually, I guess it is a sequel to The Last Detail. 
that's the way I read it. I think that's the way it's been sold to us as well. This idea of like a spiritual sequel, it's something that uh, keeps coming up with Link later, though, isn't it? It does, it is, yeah. It? Yeah, yeah. 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 Everybody the wants king some. Of spiritual sequels. Yeah, that's yeah. a sequel, I guess, in, to both Dazed and Confused, very much a sequel to that film, because yeah. yeah. that film's kids in their last week of high school, and everybody wants some is the first week of college. So you could you could view that. That could very easily be the same group of characters. And then Boyhood as well ends with uh, the lead character going to college. Yeah. And this could you know this could easily be his first week of college. So yeah, it's nice to view it in that way as well. So Linklater's first road movie, his first film in ten years that isn't an original screenplay from him. Uh, he did adapt it with Dan Ponickson. Uh Fresh off the bat, then, what did you guys think of the film? I enjoyed the film a lot. I think it had all the hallmarks of a Richard Linklater, and that's very reflective mm-hmm. and quite gentle about its approach to the philosophy of life and people are being introspective mm-hmm. and all the things that you want from a Richard Linklater really they weren't quite the protracted monologues of people like picking apart something mm. that's just happened but it it was very self-aware and the characters are very self-aware and that's what's always so enjoyable for me about Richard Linklater's films perhaps a little yeah no, a, bit, a bit more like everybody wants some there's still this like, raucousness yeah. or boisterousness to yes. the characters it's definitely a very male film and you know kind of loving that it's it's maleness yeah. and really getting having some fun with this like this rabble of guys yeah. who are reminiscing and it's recalling things like last orders and all that, yeah. that idea of a bunch of guys getting together and finding their common ground that's been lost over the last three decades in this case mm-hmm. um and i think yeah it's again preoccupied with this idea of the passing of time and how unstoppable time is, which is something that Linklater's... Yeah, that's, that's his jam, that is him, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, almost all of his last four or five films have all been about that kind of... Uh, he, he's so good at kind of measuring time on screen um, yeah. through his characters, through these kind of like... I know in Last Flag Flying, there's these melancholic shots of like cities and trains moving yeah. and things like that that are so beautifully composed, but they're just there as kind of um, placeholders, as fillers for like between scenes. Yeah. Um, but he's so good at that. And I, I, I'm not... Mm. I've never quite been able to to pin down how he manages to 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 put this this concept of, of the passage of time on screen so like uh, so well, it, especially in Last Flag Flying. I think you... On, on Brian Cranston's face, on Steve Carell's face, on Laurent Fishburne's face, you see uh, their age and you see yeah. their like the past catching up with them really, yeah. really quickly. Um, and I think they all play it beautifully well, actually. Um, especially, I mean, especially Carell. Such a restrained performance. Very restrained, yeah. Uh, as the father, taking his son back to where he needs to be. And uh, yeah, he seems to be just um barreling between roles at the moment corral that are like outlandish kind of over the top roles like yeah. in battle of the sexes yeah. to something like this and it's yeah. uh it's impressing me more and more every time actually i think this is it corral in particular is a brilliant piece of casting mm. in this because you spend well i spend the whole film looking at him thinking you're a funny guy yeah. you're a comedic actor and that is all drained from you in this film there's yeah. no sign of it, which is, of course, appropriate for his role. He's a grieving father. Yeah. Mm. But you're so, uh, because of who Carell is, you're so aware that there's a there's something missing from this character. Mm-hmm. It's something has yeah. been wow, sapped. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And you couldn't get that with, um, say, if, if Brian Cranston or Lawrence Fishburne were playing the role of Doc. Yeah. I don't think it would have the same impact because, no. although they're funny guys, perfectly capable of doing comedy, they're not comedic actors no. in my mind. They are 
Act, they're they're actors that. with comic sensibility, I yeah. think. Yeah. And everything about how he looks as well, like the sort of the neat little moustache, very standard glasses, mm. the, the the way he sort of combs his hair over and the big big sort of raincoat he yeah, wears as well, coat, sort of yeah. oversized for him. Everything about him is just just screams like shy, quiet, sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. To go into a little bit of detail about the film, my, my favourite scene in the whole film is the scene on the train. Yeah. Between the four men, uh the, the, the three of them and the uh the young soldier talking about uh the past mm. and and yeah. that's the one moment that uh steve carell is kind of allowed to let go a little mm. bit and and show some some happiness for the first yeah. time in the yeah. film and uh honestly like uh, of all the films uh, like i said this to to brian in the interview of all the films i saw at london film festival it just had me laughing so hard and it was almost a relief a yeah. laugh of relief seeing steve carell just breaking down tears of laughter and tears of joy <laughs> Was uh, was so good and mm. uh, and so real and it was that classic link later where you see it and uh, and it, he has this this ability to you know these guys are actors and you know they're playing roles but you can't help get sucked into the scene itself and kind of feel exactly what they're feeling and I think yeah. it's such a talent um, that he has yeah okay and then uh, Brian Cranston then kind of in the opposite sense he's very broad in this film but in a really great way and I he his so his character is the um, equivalent of the Jack Nicholson character from The Last Detail. Yeah. And there is a kind of Nicholson-esque about him in this film, I think. Did did you even pick up on that? Or was that just because I knew it? I'm not sure. He's a trickster, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. I I think we're probably looking for some Nicholson, but I definitely found it. It definitely felt like he was channeling Nicholson. Although in a Q&A, he said that he didn't deliberately didn't go and watch The Last right. Detail before because he, quote, didn't want Jack Nicholson running around my head. Or the last thing yeah. I want is Jack Nicholson yeah, running yeah, around yeah. my head. Nobody wants that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but I think it's hard not to project that onto him. And if he is doing that, he does a really good job of it. It's not a caricature performance. Not at all, And it's no. definitely still Brian. It's definitely Brian Cranston. Yeah. But it has that like, wild unpredictability yeah. of Nicholson. Yeah, and the way he looks as well is great. That his hair is always this kind of dishevelled, his beard is sort of uneven and grisly. He just wears these plain grey, badly fitting t-shirts and this <laughs> yeah, Budweiser t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. and mm. this sort of um, mm. this leather jacket that looks like he's owned since Vietnam. <laughs> uh, and the bar he owns as well is just so messy. I love that bar, it's but great, it's a really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really had a sense of a man who did not know how to run a bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, which is great, which is really great. Uh, I, I wondered how you guys felt about the fact that it was uh, set in the early 2000s as well. Um, and we're seeing, f- like, we don't get to see that many films yeah, now. There's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of nostalgia for the early 2000s no, at no. this point in time. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I felt like they, they did a really good job of capturing the... The, the sense of time, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially the scene with the uh, the phone. The phones. They're yeah. very confused about how mobile phones work. I love yeah, that scene. Buying yeah, buying a contract yeah. for the first time. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's such a good thing that Linklater does. He did it with Boyhood as well, where he will treat things in recent memory as though they yeah. are of as much weight as something from 40 yeah. years ago. Mm. And in this film, you hear them playing this Eminem song, which was the point that really dated it. Like, they put the radio on and Without Me yeah. comes on. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this is def- this is 2003 all yeah. over again. And he did it with Boyhood. You know, yeah. have like Coldplay yeah, songs coming yeah. in and all these things that feel so current because I suppose if you can remember it the first time around, it doesn't feel like the past. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel like history. It just yeah. feels like yeah. what happened a few years ago. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. But he treats everything like history. Yeah. Yeah, he does. You're right. You're right. I, uh, maybe that's maybe that's why he's got such a good kind of uh, connection with the passage of time because he is able to 
to kind of figure out very easily what makes us nostalgic, mm. uh, even if it is just that split second of hearing a song mm. or seeing a, a, a film title or seeing a poster yeah. or something like that. And he, he manages to hone in on it really, really easily, yeah. um, which is great, which is, which is really good stuff. And it makes it different from Everybody Wants Some as well, which is viewing the, uh, the early 1980s in this very bright colored, sort of rose-tinted view of the 1980s, yeah. whereas this feels a very real view of 2003 without being too nostalgic or too sort of judgmental of that era. It just feels like this is very, everyone has a very sort of 2003 mentality to it. That's really nicely captured. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, and that's reflected in what you said about the costume because, yeah, everybody wants some is everyone's dressed like. Yeah, it's like a costume like, party. Co yeah, yeah. Like classic. Yeah, yeah, it might be. Yeah, it's, you, yeah, you go to a themed very party tight, yeah, themed very in tight the 80s. Yeah. Whereas th these guys are all fairly nondescript in their style. I mean, Brian Cranston, there's a suggestion that he's been dressing like that for the last yeah. <laughs> 30 years. And Steve Carell is just ordinary bloke. Yeah. And then of course you've got the Reverend. So he, yeah. but nobody is really dated by what they're wearing because they're all out of fashion anyway. They're not trendy guys. <laughs> no, they're yeah. not supposed to be. They're not yeah. supposed to be, yeah. So the cues come from things like Eminem yeah. and comes from little looks at newsreel footage. And of course, the Iraq War, which is yes. a shadow of yeah. everything and what's driving Absolutely. this yeah. narrative. Yeah. Well, that's that's for me was was the the most interesting thing about the film was the fact that we had this idea. I mean, uh, you you guys just heard in the interview, the yeah. listeners just heard in the interview how Brian talked a little bit about um, how the he he saw the army as a family, and when you're in the family, you can talk about them uh, whichever way you want. But if anybody else talks about them badly, then you can you know yeah. go. Um, but this, uh, the, by the end of the film, I was struck by the idea that, that I think it's a bold move in today's political climate to, to make a film about patriotism mm. and what that means to the individual rather than what it means to a country. Mm. Uh, I wonder how you guys felt about that. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, you said, you, as you said, you and Brian talked about this mm. in a really nice way. And I, I liked how the film kind of, yeah, it respects, it respects the kind of pride of a soldier. Although, like you said, the individuals that served while at the same time it does question the government that has let them down mm -hmm. and it criticizes the government as a body but there's no there's nothing lobbied at the soldier or anyone who served in the military mm -hmm. which was a yeah that's a nice sort of line to walk across i think it does it quite confidently and quite easily mm -hmm. i think it still has it challenges the idea the idea of government quite a lot i mean Brian Cranston's character yeah is repeatedly talking about the idea of truth yeah and there's this r constant wrestling with you know, the awkward thing about the truth is that it's true and that it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And he's so adamant at, at points that you have to tell the truth. We have to know the truth about what happened in Iraq to your son, Doc. And later on, things change, don't mm. they? And he's yeah. not so sure that the truth is the right way mm. forward. Mm. And it's this... That that feels very relevant yeah, now. I think so. This idea of a safe fiction yeah. versus a hard truth. Yeah. What's the best route to go down? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And by the end of the film, I don't think we are entirely sure if his mind is made up. Mm. Uh, but he does know for a fact that he uh, this journey he's taken with his friend 
has been a worthwhile journey. Yeah. Uh, which is, and you feel that as an audience in the final scene, which I won't, which I won't spoil. But yeah. it's uh, it's it's a fantastic final scene, which I think is, Linklater yeah. is uh, as he as he continues to mature as a filmmaker, he seems to be getting those final scenes. Yeah. They seem to be getting better and better for me. Uh, he knows how to finish a movie at this point. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, and not not a lot of directors do these days. No. So um, the third member then of, of this old gang is uh, Lawrence Fishburne as the Reverend uh, Robert Mueller. I really loved him in this film quite a lot, actually. I love the way... So we've been talking about how they all look, so I guess how Fishburne looks. He has this kind of like snowflake beard. Yeah. And this like, <laughs> like gentle white hair. He looks very sort of gentle and grandfatherly. Mm-hmm. And so he has this big coat that's buttoned up all the way, very smart, sensible coat. You can just about see his um, reverend's collar at the top. He has this cane. He wears these... Uh, sort of library little glasses. Yeah. But then he can sort of switch very quickly to his old self, the way he sort of gets angry at Brian Cranston's character. And that's a really nice performance. And the way he switches. Mm-hmm. I had a great time with him in this film. Yeah, Mueller the Mauler. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was his nickname. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yeah, he's great though. Um, I think he delivers some of the lines that Linklater's written for him really well. The the line in the trailer where uh, they they want to let the, the coffin go. And yeah. he says... Uh, they're saying, oh, you can only get it released by a, a member of the, the army. And then he turns around and he's like, or a clergyman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought yeah. he delivered that really well, you know, because that's the bit where he turns and he yeah. thinks, yeah, I do need to be here for my friend. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, which is which was great, absolutely. He's a he's a different presence in the film to both of them. Yeah. Completely different. Uh, yeah. He's, he's very much the voice of reason for a long time. And it's needed. It's really needed. Mm. Um, but Lawrence Fishburne's an actor who I don't think we see enough on our screens. No. Well, he, and... Uh, he could be the same character he plays in Apocalypse Now, couldn't he? I forgot he was in that. Yeah, yeah. As la- he when he went used to go by Larry Fishburne, <laughs> as well. He's credited as Larry Fishburne. Larry Fishburne. Fishburne. So he's grown up now. He's Lawrence. Yeah, he's Lawrence now. I prefer Lawrence. Yeah, I prefer Lawrence. Yeah, absolutely. No, but he he is great in it. And uh, yeah, again, it's a, I, I hadn't thought a lot about the looks of these characters actually. And you're right. You you guys are right. It's such a huge part of the film the way that they look. Yeah. It really defines the different ways that they've all reacted to their trauma of mm. Vietnam. It never really like puts a label on it as saying these guys had been traumatized by what happened in Vietnam. Yeah. They talk about awful things that have happened and allude to really unpleasant yeah. incidents. But no one says you have PTSD. No. But it's suggested that Brian Cranston's character, Sal in particular, is dealing with it in a kind of self-medicating, yeah. alcoholic yeah, yeah. way. And mm. Lawrence Fishburne's Mueller has turned to God and yeah. found some kind Family of and, peace yeah. within that. And Steve Carell feels like the character that's lost and well, doesn't really know how to... Mm. Steve Carell's character was the one that got discharged, right? He was. Yeah. And the other two didn't? No. Did they, they stayed in the army, right? And it was so. for I, I can't remember if the movie directly addresses it. I can't recall, but is it it was because they were messing around with Doc's uh, supply of medicine, I think, and they took some of the medicine and he was the one that got blamed for it. So in a way, I guess they feel like they That's, owe him. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, yeah, I think Steve Carell certainly seems like, like you said, he's missing something. Something's something's emptied out of him. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and the other two, I guess, spend a lot of the film trying to fill that void. Uh, I like to think that they managed to do it. You know. I think so. Yeah. I, I think you're right. There's a real sense that Corral's character never recovered from the war because he got thrown in the brig and effectively had a criminal record. Yeah. And it seems that his life has, he's never been in control of his life since yeah. then. Whereas Sal and Mueller, while they've to had their respect, demons, yeah. they've sort of decided where they want to go with yeah. them. Mm. And I think that, yeah, they feel a real debt to him. Mm. 
Uh, but there's a, there's a really great moment on the train again when the guys are talking and they're talking about this incident with the drugs. They're talking about the morphine that they've been given. And one of them is saying, we were given the morphine for helping injured soldiers. And the yeah. other guy's saying, no, we were given the morphine for us. Mm. Like they gave yeah. it to us. Yeah. And there's this sort of almost conspiratorial idea of what the war was. And these people were being completely turned into machines and f- fed yeah. drugs knowing that they would use them on themselves. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's quite a bold, anarchic point of view that mm. he has. Yeah. But then you've got this really lovely, well, maybe it's not lovely, but this idea that he is still, or will always be a soldier. Yeah. Despite all the criticisms he has for the military and he calls colonels out and he is yeah. so rebellious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he can't shake that it is the thing that defines him as a person. And there's a lot about that, particularly with Sal. He's all about this idea of yeah. legacy. and Well, yeah, I mean, it's... it's people who enjoyed The Post. It's a very different film to The Post, but yeah. the two films are, are definitely covering some similar ground in the fact that people need to be held accountable uh, for you know the things that they've done and the things that they've said. Um, and the two films are very different, I think. Mm. Um, but they, they're both... They're both still funny in different yeah. ways. They're both still uh, looking at the past to kind of figure out the present. Um, and I think people who people who like The Post will go into Last Flag Flying and, and probably find something to love about it as well. Yeah, I saw I saw this before I saw The Post. Mm, me too. But I'd like to see this again, having seen The Post, mm, with that yeah. kind of view of what Vietnam War was for the people at home as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That'd be a nice way to look at it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stephen, you already mentioned this a bit, but the look of the film. Um, so the cinematography was done by Shane F. Kelly, and I agree, it's a very sort of somber and cold look. Uh, a lot of rain, sort of concrete cities, trains, bad neighbourhoods, and that that kind of nicely juxtaposes, I guess, with the sort of relationship between them, in a weird way that they're they're kind of warm together <laughs> and they warm up together while the rest of the world is grey and cold. Mm, mm, no, I think you're right. Um, remind me, is the film set at Christmas or New Year's? Something I think, it's, I think it is. Yeah, because yeah. sure doesn't, doesn't Lawrence Fishman have to get home in time for yeah. Yeah. New Year's or something like that? And I think that uh, that's a, a massive kind of... Oh, no, it's actually a subtle uh, thing because we end up, you know, setting the film at this time where... Um, families are supposed to be together and people are supposed to yeah. come together and uh yeah there's something about the way that it's filmed that still makes it seem so cold um and i think that there's a there's a definite relationship going on between the music of the film and the look of it uh and this this atmosphere that link later cultivates is certainly um like i said like melancholic um and when you see these guys, I'm 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 a big fan of like trains in films, right? Okay. Um, especially like modern trains. And I think I think there's nothing more uh, satisfying than watching a group of characters sitting together on a train yeah. as it's going from one place to another, and they're kind of in stasis and they're in uh, in in transit and uh, having to sit together and having yeah, to talk. Yeah. Um, and this, I mean, he did the same thing with with before series. Yeah, um, yeah. The train plays a huge part in that as well about like a journey between one place and another. And I think those scenes on the train in that kind of like fluorescent lighting yeah. with them all sat underneath it. Um, so in such close quarters is uh, is really well done. Yeah. You're excited for the commuter with Liam Neeson. <laughs> no, I hadn't even thought about it. Uh, well. I, I think I think I'm talking more about <laughs> less about no, less no, about Steven, trains exploding uh, and more about trains being yeah. a place of uh, source yeah. code's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> so. 
um i think more more eternal sunshine than sosuke right yeah. <laughs> yeah. and and we haven't talked about the uh the fourth member as well of this um this cross-country gang um which is charlie washington played by jay quinton johnson um he's the soldier that's accompanying the body as well and he hasn't been talked about much that i've seen but he really holds his own against these three actors who are as we said, great actors playing great roles. So it's quite tough for a younger actor, I yeah. imagine. The small amount of scenes that he does have, with yeah. the, with, especially with... Who, who does he tell the truth to, eventually, um, about how um, Steve Carell's son was... It's Salam Mueller. That's a yeah. good... That's they a kind of push him, yeah. 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 yeah, they know that something's wrong. And yeah. I think I think his the restraint he shows in that in that scene is, uh, is really well done. Because he, um, he's quite a conflicted character as well. Yeah, In the is. same way that they are. I guess that they're soldiers that have to respect their mm. commanding officers, but also are questioning the decisions made from the people at top. Mm-hmm. And he starts off; he's almost like a spy sent in by uh, the colonel to make yes. sh- make yeah. sure he's. Is it make sure he's buried in his uniform? He's told. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so he's kind of like, whatever they tell you, you're you're a soldier. He's a soldier. You do as I tell you. But then, as he warms to them, he kind of blends in with their kind of sensibility. Yeah. Which is done quite subtly. Yeah, it is. It is. And yeah, he's. I think that that he comes across as a as a friend to Steve Carell's yeah. son as well, uh, without having you know his biggest relationship in the film is with a dead boy. Yeah, uh, and you know when that's what you've got to get across without actually ever even seeing that relationship. I think it's a difficult task, and Absolutely. I think he, he he does it really really well. The film doesn't really have any kind of like stakes other than you know where does this boy no. end up? Like where does and, does, and that's very Linklater, I think, to have yeah. the stakes very low. I mm. can't think of any rich, Richard Linklater film off the top of my head that has m- massive stakes. At, I mean, Celine and heart. Jesse's relationship is like... <laughs> 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 that's, there's a lot at stake yeah. there, Sam. But no, you're right, though. It's it's still a, a small thing. Even something as broad as uh, School of Rock, <laughs> it's pretty low stakes. <laughs> to play right? the Battle of the Bands. Got to play yeah, the Battle yeah. of the Bands, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. Um, so maybe we should end then talking about Linklater mm-hmm. and... Because we, we, you know, speaking of S. Craig Zahler at the beginning of the show, when we go and watch Drags Across Concrete, we're going to have a certain amount of baggage, right? With uh, Brawl and Cell Block and Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. And with the next Tarantino, we're going to go in with loads of baggage and the next Spielberg and the next Paul Thomas Anderson film. Often with these auteurs, you go in to watch a film and you are, there's there's a sort of a context to everything already without even seeing it and even free billboards it's only uh, Martin McDonough's third film but you do go into that thinking of mm. In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths yeah. and I Compare but with Richard Linklater I feel there's very little of that because his films are so laid back and so simple and so kind of humanistic I don't feel like there's there's much kind of pretense laid onto it until recently I would agree, agree okay. entirely I think he definitely did that whole one for you one for me one for the studio one for okay. me kind of thing yeah. with his career and the ones for him yeah. feel very consistent okay. throughout yeah. the ones for the studios. They could kind of do anything like School of Rock. Yeah. I mean, it's still got Link Later Touch, but put it next to Before Sunrise, yeah. and I don't know if this is the same guy. Yeah. But I think he his career seemed to change for me around, well, Boyhood changed yeah. it, and I think he went into doing whatever he wants yeah. now. And I think that they're taking it. I think I now would expect certain something. Things. Okay. The word I would use is gentle. I don't know if that's yeah. a bit naff, but there's there's something calm about him and restrained yeah. about him that I think I would expect and not necessarily be disappointed if I didn't see, but I want to hear his 
thoughts on yeah life yeah no ex- you're you're yeah that's what he does best though. yeah gentle um, is the right word yeah because even we're saying the film doesn't have stakes bernie is a film about a murderer yeah but that's a very quaint portrayal of a murderer <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no you're like right a hugely compassionate yeah, portrayal yeah. of a murderer yeah. I, I think one of the reasons that um i mean in its first it's it's certainly building up steam now less like flying but in its, when the first few like reviews came out uh, from its first screenings it had a quite a tepid response and i think that's because after things like boyhood um and you know before um midnight and uh, everybody wants some which were all films that like had a quite they had they had a hook you know, mm. they had like an edge, yeah. something that you could kind of grab grab onto, yeah. uh, whether it was, a, you know, people say the boyhood was a gimmick. I'm not sure mm. it was, but um, yeah, that kind of gimmicky thing. Um, whereas this doesn't, this doesn't have that. It seems like a more straightforward kind of drama. But uh, I think people now are expecting Linklater to be kind of to come out with this new great idea on how to portray time and how to portray relationships in this kind of very gentle measured way yeah. Yeah. Um, and experiment because he is an he is an experimental filmmaker i think yeah. like in a lot of ways I, I there's not you know apart from maybe Truffaut with his series um nobody had done the boyhood thing before and yeah. the same goes for the before series no one had followed these characters through like 25 years yeah. of their lives um and i, I don't i have no idea what link is doing next I, I can't remember reading what he's got on the Can't, slate. I heard, I heard rumors of another before. Oh, no, nah, it's okay. another it's about another four years yet if they're going to follow. Yeah, I think he has to. I think yeah. he does have to do another one um, because I mean, this is what I like about him is he doesn't shy away from these difficult, uh, <laughs> difficult ideas about where people go and what they do with their lives. Because obviously, you could look at the before series and say. Nine years down the line, where are they going to be then? Like, what's why do we care about these characters anymore? And I think yeah. Linklater is going to look at that and be like, well, let's find out. Yeah, you know, let's yeah. find out where they are. Like, instead of being like, we've got nothing else to do with these guys. Yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we just see where they are and why don't we see what they're doing? And with the with Before Midnight, especially, we saw a, a horrible version of a relationship mm. that we loved so much, um, and it was painful to watch at times, and a very kind of. I think a brave thing to do as a filmmaker. And I hope to be seeing more of that from him, to be honest, in the future. A lot more kind of... Uh, I loved Last Flag Flying, but I would like yeah. for him to, to push it again. Yeah. Um, to yeah. push yeah. the kind of uh, the envelope a bit further in terms of like experimental filmmaking. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, Last Flag Flying, which is released uh, Friday, January 26th. But if you feel like staying at home this weekend, uh, or on Monday, the 29th, God's Own Country, um, the British film that won Best Independent Film at the Biffers this year and is nominated for Best British Film at the BAFTAs. Uh, that is on Curzon Home Cinema. Uh, Ryan, do you want to talk a little bit about God's Own Country? God's Own, yeah, God's Own Country is one of is one of the best films of the last year. It's certainly possibly the best British film I saw last year. It's very raw. Mm-hmm. It's very... Uh, it's, it's kind of brutal in its depiction of Britain, uh, English landscape and of... Uh, blossoming love in a way it's really stripped down and it's okay. really kind of physical and and rough but it you know it, it has a real tenderness to it and and the love that you see between the two lead characters um is it's so it feels very honest and it does a really interesting thing i think god's own country where it sort of sidesteps the usual trappings of of a relationship of this kind where it doesn't it's not all about uh, the difficulty of them expressing themselves yeah. to the rest of the world. There's a difficulty in them admitting to each other that they love each other. These are two men who find mm-hmm. meet, meet through circumstance on a farm and fall in love with each other. 
and they go through the usual kind of charade of do I like you do I not like you but once they are together there are few barriers to them being together other than themselves and their own sense of macho pride I suppose is the only real problem and that's quite refreshing to see I think I think it's a really really terrific film all right, great. So that's uh, God's Own Country, which is on Curzon Home Cinema on January 29th. Uh, and that's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. If you like the show, please uh, review us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. Uh, so it's goodbye from Stephen. Bye-bye. Bye from Ryan. Goodbye. Goodbye from me. See you next week.